Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The cheerleaders at a gym in Buffalo have been recording themselves. What's up? To make a new documentary. We're the so-called news reporters. Because one year ago, a mass shooting changed their lives. He just walked around and shot all the black people. The cheer squad, most of whom are black, had to figure out how to go on and how to compete. I wanted the win for them more than anything this season. Listen to the Embedded podcast from NPR within the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Berenbaum. On paper, he was perfect. But in reality... This guy is a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sridhar. And I'm Arti. We have spent the last 20 years building and working at some of the largest companies in the world. We worked with some remarkable people. Rob McElhinney. When I see the people of Wrexham, I grew up exactly like them. Check out the Arti and Sriram show. That is A-A-R-T-H-I and S-R-I-R-A-M show. Listen to the Arti and Sriram show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of a man who's fascinated me. His name was Sweet Daddy Grace, and that's a name you don't forget. He was a visionary who built a fortune as a black man during Jim Crow, during the Depression. But today, not many people know about him. 
erased, sort of wiped out. And I wonder if this was done intentionally. Listen to Sweet Daddy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. She was inside that house. She could tell you what it was like. I mean, she told everybody what it was like to live with the Wackers. I remember Jake saying that they were stressed. Decisions were typically made as a group. I was making plans to leave the house immediately. I was afraid they were going to kill me. This is the Pikes and Massacre Return to Pike County. Season 4, Episode 17, The Elizabeth Journals. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. As always, it's important to note that George Wagner has pleaded not guilty to all charges. His father, Billy Wagner, whose trial is upcoming, has also pleaded not guilty to all charges. Hours of testimony by investigators and relatives have painted a dark picture of the Wagner family and the contentious custody battle between Jake Wagner and Hannah Rodin over their daughter. Today, one of the most mysterious and least known figures involved in the case takes the stand. Elizabeth Armour, Jake Wagner's ex-wife, who he met in Alaska. We've reached out to her before, but have never spoken directly with her. We've only heard from Elizabeth on the occasions she posted to social media. Like Tabitha Clayton, George Wagner's ex-wife, Elizabeth is one of the few people uniquely positioned to discuss the dynamics of the close-knit Wagner family. The murder trial of George Wagner IV continued in Pike County today with new testimony from the ex-wife of Jake Wagner. It was one of the most anticipated moments of George Wagner's trial. When Elizabeth Armour entered the courtroom, George Wagner's eyes followed her. He glared as she walked across the room and took her seat to be sworn in. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Nervous? <laughs> I've said this before, we give it a lot in that particular chair. Um, so we'll just take this slow, and if I say anything that you don't understand or um, is a confusing question, just let me know that, okay? Um, can you please state your name and spell your last name? My name is Elizabeth Armour. My last name is A-R-M-E-R. The 29-year-old spoke softly as she described growing up in a religiously conservative community in eastern Tennessee and what led to her move to Alaska. I grew up in uh, Amish Mennonite community for most of my teen years, and um, because of that I did not have a high school education since they only go to eighth grade. And so friends of mine in, from the same road that I lived on that I had kind of grown up with a little bit. Um, we are working with a church there in Alaska that had like a parish school. And so they had offered to help me get my uh, high school education because I was interested in pursuing a more standard kind of lifestyle. Even though Elizabeth wanted a more traditional life, she still stayed close to her conservative religious roots and attended a fundamentalist Baptist church in Alaska where she met the Wagners. How did you come to uh, start attending that particular church? So that particular church was the church that my friends from Tennessee were attending, and that is the church which had the, the school 
as part of it, and the teachers at that school were willing to give me classes after school to help me uh, get up to speed with GED. And so I was going there just, you know, because my friends were. Okay. Were you fairly involved with the church above and beyond uh, getting your GEDs? Um, I worked in the nursery sometimes, and I sang in the choir because I like to sing. Um, I helped one of the teachers with um, a like a Christmas program, the church program. Okay. While you were there and attending that church, did you come to learn of or know some individuals known as uh, the Wagner family? I did. The Wagner family moved from Ohio to Alaska in the summer of 2017, a little more than a year after the murders. Elizabeth met them through the church shortly after they arrived. And can you tell us um, what was your first encounter with um, one Morgan? My first memory of the Wagners was um, Jake and Angela, maybe the whole family, but I just remember Jake and Angela and the children walking into church, and I remember thinking they were a couple with a child. Okay. And did you have any interactions with them at that time, or was that just an observation? It's just an observation. Okay. And then was there another time where you had um, another awareness of that, one of their, uh, one or more of them? So my next memory of the Wagners was that I had come out of the nursery for taking care of the children, and um, I looked down the hallway and it looked like Jake was at the other end of the hallway kind of noticing me, and I remember like feeling nervous, but I didn't really have experience with any kind of dating or anything like that, so I thought maybe I was attracted to him because I was, um, it was just an intense feeling. Jake later found her on Facebook and asked Elizabeth out. Despite her interest in Jake, Elizabeth told him she wasn't comfortable going out with someone she didn't know. So what happened next? So he made a point of introducing himself to me personally next time he was at church and wanted to chat with me in the gym. Soon after, Jake and Elizabeth began dating. Their life as a couple revolved around the church and the small community they lived in. Sometimes we would go out and get um, meals just from local say like fast food restaurants. I remember getting ice cream from Dairy Queen. I think we went for walks and we would sometimes just go for a drive. Okay. Was there a point where you learned that there was some negative information regarding Jake and his family? Yes. So shortly after the women started coming to the church, um, the pastor of the church showed up basically in front of the church and uh, said that he had known them in Ohio and that there was some kind of news story out about them um, and that they had been bothered by the news and that because they'd been bothered by the news, they moved to Ohio, uh, to Alaska, and um, that we should not really pay attention to the news about them and just welcome them into the community. And did... You also asked, or did Jake offer an explanation of it as well? He did. And what did he describe for you at that time? He said, 
basically what the pastor had that his family had been hounded by the news media that they had there was a scandal where he grew up that his I think ex girlfriend had been murdered and that people were putting him under suspicion because he had dated her um, and that that was why there was the news story out. And again, did you um, did you more or less accept those explanations from the pastor and from Jake? I did, um, because the family I was living with was ex-law enforcement, and so I talked with them about it, and they said that basically if there had been any truth to these stories, they would have already been arrested since it had been two years' time. As Jake and Elizabeth's relationship grew more serious, Elizabeth met more of his family. She also witnessed firsthand the family dynamics. So when I met them, basically what I remember from going to their house was that everybody was yelling. That was my impression that everybody was yelling. And you said there was yelling. Tell me about that. Um, well, it just seemed like everybody was really angry and stressed and that they were all shouting. Um, I hadn't really heard people shout that loudly in my life. Um, and I remember Jake saying that they were stressed and that, you know, everybody was stressed. Okay. And can you tell us, um, was there a point where your um, relationship got more serious with Jake? Nine months after I met him, he asked me to marry him. Initially, Jake promised Elizabeth a long engagement so they could continue to get to know each other. But according to Elizabeth, he kept changing his timeline and pressured her to marry quickly. How did it change? So, Jake kept changing the timeline. So, like, initially he said we would be engaged for two years, and then as time went on, he kept giving reasons why. Oh, well, we have to move the date up. Oh, we have to move the date up. And he just kept doing that over and over and over and over. And, you know, here I am in the middle of making wedding plans, and then suddenly I have to move, and I'm busy and trying to manage everything. And he just kept moving the date up, 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 until eventually it was only one month after we engaged. And ultimately, what was the reason as to why it had to be that time? He said that he was moving and that he wanted to basically break it off or come with them. Jake told Elizabeth his entire family planned on moving to a farm in Missouri to raise camels and pigs, and that they would have to get married quickly, which they did. Can you tell us um, what happened on your wedding night? Since I grew up Amish, basically, I wasn't actually Amish, but I grew up in that kind of lifestyle, that community, very similar lifestyle. I hadn't dated anybody um, and didn't have any experience with um, men. And so um, I had requested, in no uncertain terms, that we not consummate marriage on that night, um, which Jake had agreed to, but did not honor. After forcing Elizabeth to have sex on their wedding night, Elizabeth says Jake demanded access to all of her personal information. And when you say he asked you for your personal information, what kind of personal information are you talking about? 
My bank account access numbers, my social security card um, numbers, my phone passcode, and at the same time he also like synced my phone with his so that he could see all of my calls and texts. Did you also have to sign agreements prior to the marriage or or any time? Yes, I remember Angela and them asking me to sign a paper that basically my understanding was that it was to keep me from trying to get custody of in the event of a divorce. And what? In the event of a divorce. Okay. And you did actually sign it, correct? I did. But Jake Wagner's desire to control his new wife didn't stop there. On your wedding night, did Jake also discuss with you that you should not have contact with your family? He did. And tell me about that. So, two of my brothers um, in their early childhood had sexually experimented with me when I was quite young. Um, my family didn't have um, like sex education, so they were both of them under the age of 10. And so the first one had kind of approached me inappropriately when I was three or four years old, and then another one at a completely different occasion when I was about seven years old. And so because of that, Jake asked me to cut contact with my family on my wedding night. Contact with your entire family or just those two brothers? I remember it as my entire family. The day after the wedding, all of the Wagners, except its newest member, Elizabeth, left by car for Missouri. A week later, after sorting out her passport, Elizabeth joined the entire family, Jake, George, Angela, Billy, and the children living in one small, cramped hotel room. Elizabeth was horrified at the living situation and tried to leave. But when she left the overcrowded hotel room to call her brother for help, Jake found her and brought her back. So when I got back to the hotel room, everybody was agitated. Angela, George, Jake, they kind of confronted me about having left the room by myself and um, said that it wasn't really safe for me to leave the room by myself because uh, news reporters might be, you know, outside and try to, like, bother me or get me to talk to them or something like that. And I needed to only leave the room with someone with me. The Wagner's time in Missouri was short. Even though Jake promised Elizabeth they would never move back to Ohio because of the news coverage and the police investigation, the family returned a few days after failing to find a farm in Missouri. I was unhappy about it because Jake had basically promised me we were never going back to Ohio because of the news story, but after being in the hotel for days on end, Life in Ohio was just as cramped and chaotic as ever. With the entire Wagner family living under one roof, tensions were always near a boiling point. Can you describe to us the family dynamics when you were living there uh, with them, between Jake and George and Angela? Um, How did they interact with each other? Um, How were decisions made, all that? Okay, so... Usually interactions were strained, as far as I remember. They were usually highly 
um, stressed and emotionally angry. Um, again, the shouting continued. The decisions were typically made as a group, so they would discuss what they were going to do, come to a decision, and then that's what everybody would do. They make group decisions. Though she was now a member of the Wagner family, Elizabeth was often asked to leave the room. Angela and George Wagner particularly did not trust her. Can you tell us about those discussions, where they would occur, how they would occur? Usually they would happen in the kitchen. Um, I wasn't usually asked to join them. I just remember that I would hear people discussing things in the kitchen, and because it was so loud, I would hear people talking about what they're going to do, what their plans were, um, how they were going to answer certain questions that people asked them, um, how they were going to use their finances, all that in the kitchen. Okay. So those were the general topics that you hear them discussing? They would talk about finances, how they would answer uh, media questions, or I think at that point they were mentioning BCI questions or police questions about the children or about um, their clothes or shoes or um, inquiries about the children, things like that, yeah. Okay. Here's Stephanie and Jeff. She makes mention of growing up kind of Amish-like in her words, and I assume that means that she was a bit insulated and that she was maybe raised in a bit of a bubble. And on the one hand, that would make her a prime target for a family of predators because she's potentially naive and unaware of the outside world. And on the other side of that, we've also heard rumors that some of the Wagners were very paranoid that she was working for law enforcement from day one and they just didn't trust her. So the fact that she's opted in to be recorded and have video to tell her story is extremely big and very brave. Obviously we can't know what she's feeling, but to face George Wagner in court and to put her face and likeness out there, I think says a lot about where she is. It's also interesting, Steph, obviously we don't know what George Wagner was feeling, but we do know that he rarely looks up or shows any sort of emotion. And he definitely looked up at Elizabeth and almost looked like he was glaring. And he then tracked her as she walked into the courtroom. So if we're trying to surmise what he might be feeling, he definitely has some strong feelings about the fact that she's testifying. One discussion stuck out. Elizabeth remembered the Wagners talking about creating a bulletproof bulldozer to knock down prison walls if any of the Wagners landed in jail. And she remembered them talking about key aspects of the investigation. Can you tell us what discussions did you hear about shoes? Um, I mostly remember them talking about um, tennis shoes and saying something about, like, somebody thought Angela had bought tennis shoes from Walmart, but that was ridiculous because they wore boots. And they kind of, like, impressed that on me multiple times. Like, do you think we would buy tennis shoes or boots? Because we wear boots, and they mentioned it multiple times. Going back to your living with the Wagners, did Angela ever have conversations with you about the sexual relations you were having with Jake? Yes. Okay. And can you remember um, what she, what specifically she discussed with you? So I remember her asking 
if Jake and I were trying to have a child um, and telling me that it wasn't a good time for to have a child. And I remember her asking if Jake and I had sexual relations with in the room. And I remember her suggesting that that was inappropriate. And I remember Jake and I having that discussion. And I remember telling him that I did not think it was appropriate and that he did not listen. So you basically agreed that it was appropriate. Yes. Um, and you expressed that to Jake. Yes. Did Angela ever accuse you of things regarding uh, either one of the children? Yes. If I remember, it was food poisoning. She accused me of having intentionally food poisoned the children. And was there a time when she accused you of something else? There was a time when it was brought to my attention by Jake that she said that I had inappropriately touched sexually. And can you tell us what happens as a result of that? So when Jake came to me and told me that his mom believed that I had touched inappropriately. I was also informed that because of that allegation, um, George wasn't comfortable with my living in the house with and then I needed to go somewhere else. And can you tell us, did you ever have um, a conversation with both Jake and Angela about these uh, specific allegations? Yes. And can you tell us what happened during that conversation or what was said? Elizabeth described this heated conversation as the final showdown between her and the Wagner family and the moment she knew she had to get away from them as soon as possible. Jake said that he didn't believe I had done it, but that, you know, I need to explain myself because Angela believed that I had touched inappropriately. Um, she was acting very high and mighty, so to speak, and I was very shocked. Um, and I remember Jake questioning me very sternly, like, did you do this? And he laid it out very clearly to me that if I had done it, that that the right thing to do would be to create um, Lucille, the baseball bat from The Walking Dead, and string me up in the barn, beat me to death with the baseball bat, bulldoze the barn, it down and hunt down and kill my family and that if he didn't do it his mom would do it if his mom didn't do it his dad would do it or <coughs> George would do it or Billy or you know he just kept saying any of them would be willing to do this because it would be the right thing to do Elizabeth says she went to her room, packed her bag, and called a friend for help. I was making plans to leave the house immediately. Um, I was afraid they were going to kill me. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas... A few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. 
He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. Bob could lie about anything. It only takes the one time and somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice. I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on him. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here, host of Revisionist History, a show about the overlooked and the misunderstood. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Like our ongoing obsessive campaign to blow up the world's most bogus college ranking system. Why not? Just throw in a few extra zeros. (laughs) Or witness me after years of fancy public speaking, learning that I kind of have to start over. The tone that you had throughout the debate was very similar to some of the students that I do work with. Um, And that's what I teach them not to do. We're making more revisionist history for you this year than ever from places all across this great country. Emergency rooms, huge theaters, small towns, and shooting ranges. And you want to put your thumb up like this. Now you're going to pull the trigger with this finger Mm -hmm. here, okay? Listen to Revisionist History on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From iHeart Podcasts. What in the hell is going on in here? Everyone has their limits. I'd never confronted a situation like this. I just thought it was just a really terrible, immoral thing. A line they won't cross. I was stunned, and I just said, no. We're killing people. You may never have to face that decision. When you find yourself at that line. Thoughts racing, hearts racing. And somebody needs to just, for once, give everybody the whole truth. I'm like, this is evil. And the only person who can sound the alarm is you. I wasn't just going to sit silently by. From iHeart Podcasts, these are the whistleblowers. If you are disloyal. Bad things are going to happen If you speak out. Disgrace to our country. Evil pay. He should be prosecuted. When power corrupts, conscience is the last line of defense. I'm Miles Taylor. Listen to The Whistleblowers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Laverne Cox. I'm an actress, producer, fashionista, and host of The Laverne Cox Show. You may remember my award-winning first season. I've been pretty busy, but there's always time to talk to incredible guests about important things. People like me have been screaming for years, we got to watch the Supreme Court. What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is evil. They will take things away. And I can only hope that Dobbs is that, like, Pearl Harbor moment. Girl, you and I both know what it took to just get through the day in New York City and get home in one piece. And so the fact that we're here and what you've achieved and what I've achieved, you know, that's momentous. It's not just us sitting around complaining about some bills. The only reason that you might think, as Chase said, that we're always miserable is because people are constantly attacking us and we're constantly noticing it. Listen to The Laverne Cox Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share.
Elizabeth Armour was determined to flee Jake and the rest of the Wagners. Elizabeth began pushing back against the Wagners' rules, taking walks to the library and the local cemetery. She also kept a diary. Faith Exhibit, Triple M1. And if you could go ahead and look at that. And first of all, tell me if that is what is showing on the screen in front of you. One of my journal entries. Okay. And can you go ahead and read that for us, please? Dear Granddaddy, the people I live with are all right, I guess. They're constantly yelling and hitting, and not one of them understands the concept or need for privacy. Even the most private of all human doings are open for discussion and comment in this family. It grates on my nerves. Also, nobody seems to understand basic ownership. Tell us, is that one of the journal entries that you had written that was discovered by other people living in the home? Yes. And were you speaking about them in that journal entry? Yes, I was speaking about George, Jake, Angela. George, Jake, and Angela, yeah. Okay. The prosecution then asked Elizabeth to read another entry about the Wagner family. Dear Granddaddy, I try so hard not to hate people. Proof of this is that out of my entire crazy big family, there are only two people I truly hate. But now, Granddaddy, there are three. Daniel, Isaac, and Angela. I'm going to call her Ms. Angela because the name fits her. Anyways, Miss Angela is horrible for all these reasons. One, she married unwisely and believes all marriages destined to end like hers. Two, she has her fingers in my husband's pocketbook and makes exorbitant demands on his salary, holding her own quote-unquote gifts and help over his head like a glove to emphasize her demands. Three, she has more say over my life right now than I do because she controls my husband through his child. Four, she verbally abuses and yells insinuations at my husband, which he doesn't understand, but I do. Five, she dislikes and ridicules books. And you can go ahead and read to us what that says. Six, because she is a manipulative liar, she is teaching our daughters to manipulate and lie. Seven, my husband would listen to her far rather than to me because she has raised his daughter thus far. Eight, she believes me to be a replica of Tabby and treats me as such. She has insinuated several times that she expects me to poison her. Nine, she has repeatedly declared that she will see to it that 
will always prefer to be with her and never accept me as her mama. Kim, she has threatened my husband with custody battles. 11, the most horrible thing is I have her totally within my power. All I would have to do would be to tell people she did it, to get away from her abusive mother, and I would get her a lifetime sentence like that. Only thing is, much as I hate the woman's guts, it would not be true. 12. She allows and encourages boys' obesity. 13. She treats the children second, work first, and kids second. Continuing the same diary entry. Do you want me to read it? Yes, please. I'm sorry. 14. She keeps tabs on me, always watching and listening to see where I am. 15. I'm having to live in her house under her direct control and condescension. Plan to crush her. One, treat her only kindly and respectfully. Two, try to become her friend. She's like Rhonda, so she really only respects working. I'm sorry, my handwriting is terrible. Working. Three. Be nice because I'm bigger than her. Four. Once I have her trust and friendship, slam the relationship door shut in her face. She likes gifts, food, animals, gardening. Money, money, money. Her kids, grandkids, working, cooking, favors, and hospitality. She is sensitive about her weight and appearance. She either was physically abused or else mistreated in her childhood. Basically, all bosses want Indians. Elizabeth tried to hide her diary from the Wagners, but they later found it and confronted her. What they asked you to do with these items once they confronted you with them? I think it was Angela, Jake, and I feel like George was nearby, possibly Rita as well, but I don't remember exactly that. They said it was dangerous for me to write because the media or the police or somebody might get a hold of what I had wrote, and so... They asked if I would burn the journal and uh, flush it down the toilet. And saw to it that I did. The Wagner's demand for control over Elizabeth led to more threats against her life. You indicated that on your wedding night, Jake had indicated that you should cut off contact with your family. Um, was there ever a time where he told you what would happen if one of them showed up at your house? Yes. And what did he say? He said that he would kill them. Determined to leave, Elizabeth began making arrangements with her father to escape. On July 6th of 2018, less than four months after marrying Jake, Elizabeth fled the Wagner's grip. Can you tell us what happened on the day that you left? Um, we dropped me off in the parking lot. Um, I walked into the Walmart 
um, changed my clothes halfway through the Walmart um, at a changing station so that I wouldn't look the same and left out the back through the tire section because I was afraid they were following me. I was concerned and got into a rented car, took the SIM card out of my phone because I was concerned I was being tracked. My father was there in the car and we drove down a bunch of side roads and hid the car for a period of time and then when we knew we weren't being followed we drove to a restaurant where I switched vehicles my friend picked me up and took me the rest of the way to Virginia. Elizabeth Armour fled the Wagners and initiated a divorce. George Wagner's defense team cross-examined her and questioned Elizabeth about her relationship with George and how serious a person he was. You didn't really know him at all in Alaska, I'm curious to I'm in that church. That once or twice you saw him at church? Yeah. And did you have long conversations with him at the church? Yeah. So you met him at the church once or twice. You were introduced to him after Jake, after Jake had proposed to you. And then you helped pack. That's kind of the extent of your contact with George when you were in Alaska. Is that fair? Fair enough. Okay. Soon after escaping to Virginia, Elizabeth testified she was contacted by BCI agents and asked not only about Angela and Jake, but also George. During cross-examination, the defense questioned Armour about her interviews with BCI agents after she left the family, asking her whether she thought those threats were real. During that uh, interview, they asked you some questions about George, right? During the interview in Virginia? In Virginia, yes. And I think you told them that one of the things about George was he liked to tell sexist jokes. Is that right? Yes. As Elizabeth answers, from across the courtroom, George Wagner is seen smiling. He seems to enjoy being described this way. These were jokes that kind of offended you, is that right? Yes. Right. Jokes about women, perhaps? Yes. All right. Topics that you disapproved of. You didn't approve of these types of jokes, right? They were quite crude. Very crude, right? One of the things about George is that not only would he tell you these jokes, or see these jokes in your presence, I should say, um, not only would he say these jokes, but um, he said other things, and, and you came to an opinion that you thought he was kind of a blowhard. Is that fair to say? I would have to look up the definition of blowhard, but that sounds reasonable. Okay. He would say things he really didn't mean. Is that fair to say? Kind of blown off steam. I'm not sure if he meant them or not. I don't want to infer his meaning. And when you talk to the officers in Virginia, they ask you, can you tell us about George? And I think you told him, he's not your kind of person. He seems like a sweet kind of guy, but not the kind of person I would feel safe with. Because he's because of his confessed interest in whores and non-discriminate choices in that area, that would be my reason for not feeling comfortable with 
Here's Jeff speaking with forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan. What do you make of George kind of smiling? He shows so little emotion and he sort of lights up when she's talking about his sexist jokes and calling women whores and stuff. Is that, I mean, that must be, that's a pretty bad look. Yeah, it is, particularly when you're sitting there and, you know, you've got a panel of 12 people that are trying to decide what's going to happen with the rest of your life. You know, you're in a fight for your life, literally. It's powerful in the sense that you see George's behavior exhibited before them. So if it wasn't accented before then, it's damn well accented after that when he smirks about this, maybe giggles a little bit, you know, and, you know, in a very, you know, the same way that some middle school child would. It's like he he has no self-awareness at that point in time. He has no self-awareness of what he's up against. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas, a few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. Bob could lie about anything. It only takes the one time and somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice. I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on him. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here, host of Revisionist History, a show about the overlooked and the misunderstood. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Like our ongoing obsessive campaign to blow up the world's most bogus college ranking system. Why not? Just throw in a few extra zeros. (laughs) Or witness me after years of fancy public speaking, learning that I kind of have to start over. The tone that you had throughout the debate was very similar to some of the students that I do work with. Um, And that's what I teach them not to do. We're making more revisionist history for you this year than ever from places all across this great country. Emergency rooms, huge theaters, small towns, and shooting ranges. And you want to put your thumb up like this, Now you're going to pull the trigger with this finger Mm -hmm. here, okay? Listen to Revisionist History on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From iHeart Podcasts. What in the hell is going on in here? Everyone has their limits. I'd never confronted a situation like this. I just thought it was just a really terrible, immoral thing. A line they won't cross. I was stunned, and I just said, no. We're killing people. You may never have to face that decision. When you find yourself at that line. Thoughts racing, hearts racing. And somebody needs to just, for once, give everybody the whole truth. I'm like, this is evil. And the only person who can sound the alarm is you. I wasn't just going to sit silently by. From iHeart Podcasts. These are the whistleblowers. If you are disloyal, bad things are going to happen. If you speak out. Disgrace to our country. Evil pay. He should be prosecuted. When power corrupts, conscience is the last line of defense. I'm Miles Taylor, 
Listen to The Whistleblowers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Laverne Cox. I'm an actress, producer, fashionista, and host of The Laverne Cox Show. You may remember my award-winning first season. I've been pretty busy, but there's always time to talk to incredible guests about important things. People like me have been screaming for years, we got to watch the Supreme Court. What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is evil. They will take things away. And I can only hope that Dobbs is that, like, Pearl Harbor moment. Girl, you and I both know what it took to just get through the day in New York City and get home in one piece. And so the fact that we're here and what you've achieved and what I've achieved, you know, that's momentous. It's not just us sitting around complaining about some bills. The only reason that you might think, as Chase said, that we're always miserable is because people are constantly attacking us and we're constantly noticing it. Listen to The Laverne Cox Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share. George Wagner's defense attorney, John Parker, continued to press Elizabeth about whether or not she thought George was someone she took serious or someone who simply ran his mouth. Just a couple of questions about when BCI officers were interviewing you in Virginia. So that would have been July of 2018 after you left Ohio. They asked you about George in particular. They asked you when George specifically would talk about what he would do, what would he say that he was going to do to those people if he got his hands on them? I believe your response was, he would say things like, if I had my way, we wouldn't be hiding out like this. We would be storming Mike DeWine's office, punching him in the nose, you know, just bluffs. And the agent asked you, is that what you perceived them to be? You didn't perceive them to be viable threats, you thought? And your answer was, I thought they're just bluffs, just like blowing off steam. Do you recall that? I do recall that interview. But Elizabeth later corrected the defense lawyer and insisted that she was as scared of George Wagner as any of the others. When you left Ohio back in 2018, you were escaping from Angela as much as anybody. Is that fair to say? Angela, Jake, George, and Billy is who I believe myself to be escaping from. Here again, Jeff and Joseph Scott Morgan. And do you think, is she an effective witness for the prosecution? I think she is an excellent witness for the prosecution. You know, and I'm a forensics guy, as you well know. But to have this kind of circumstantial witness that's up there where they can kind of paint a picture of what life was like on the inside. You can have all the blood evidence in the world that you want. You can have all the ballistic evidence that you want in the world. You can see bodies ripped to shreds, but when you have a person that survived it, is there to tell the tale? She's potentially a nail in the coffin. More on that next time. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Pikes and Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Connor Powell, Andrew Arnau, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Jared Astin. The Pikes and Massacre is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Berenbaum. On paper, he was perfect, but in reality... This guy is a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call him and I would say, I know you killed my sister. You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a story of a man who's fascinated me. His name was Sweet Daddy Grace, and that's a name you don't forget. He was a visionary who built a fortune as a black man during Jim Crow, during the Depression. But today, not many people know about him. Erased, sort of wiped out, and I wonder if this was done intentionally. Listen to Sweet Daddy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From iHeart Podcasts and Nomadic Engine, the acclaimed dramatic thriller returns. Aftershock, season two. He's like a ghost. We had an agreement to keep each other's secrets. None of you are making decisions to keep the rest of us safe, which leaves me. I'm asking for your forgiveness. Aftershock, season two, starring Sarah Wayne Callies, David Harbour, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Listen to Aftershock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Daly. For years, I've been on the road playing shows and seeing America through live music. This summer, I'll hit the stage with season two of Sound of Our Town. Ten cities, 12 episodes, every other Thursday. We explore the live music venues and culture of a new American city with each new episode. Our tour continues into the kind of venues you want to get to when you land in Detroit, Providence, Denver, or Seattle. Listen to Sound of Our Town on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.